0: Buddy, it is time for Apollo Swattered, a podcast to saturate your faith with the things of God, so that you might saturate your world with the truth of Jesus Christ. My name is Travis Michael Fleming, and I am your host. And today we're having one of our deep conversations with my friend Jeremy Treat. Let me tell you a bit about Jeremy. Jeremy's childhood was spent in the Arctic snows of Alaska, forging a rough-hewn living in the frozen wonderland of the North. By the age of 12, though, he'd had his quota of the icy wilderness, and so he and his family moved to Seattle to experience rainy suburban sprawl. He grew up in the church, and as a teen, first grasped that Christianity wasn't about what he could do for God, but about what God did for him in Christ. That good news transformed him on the spot, and ever since, his life has evolved a constant process of repenting of self-righteousness and growing to rely instead on the grace of God. A reading of C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity in the 12th grade sparked a passion in Jeremy to dive deeper into studying theology. This passion led him into pastoral ministry and through various institutions of higher learning as he earned a colorful variety of degrees. And during that time, Jeremy got married to Tiffany, the daughter of his one-time basketball coach. After finishing his schooling, Jeremy spent much time in prayer with his wife over where to go next, and in 2012, they moved from Illinois to Los Angeles to serve Jesus at Reality L.A., While his PhD in theology has earned him the title of Dr. J, perhaps the most compelling reason to refer to him as a doctor is the fact that he once helped his wife deliver their second daughter in the front seat of their Honda Civic when they couldn't make it to the hospital on time. Whoa. Jeremy currently serves as the pastor for preaching and vision at Reality LA. He, his wife, and their four daughters currently reside in Los Feliz, a neighborhood marked by an abundance of Hollywood history and a scarcity of street parking. He is the pastor for Preaching and Vision at Reality LA in Los Angeles, California. He's an adjunct professor of theology at Biola University and a council member of the Gospel Coalition. He is the author of Seek First, How the Kingdom of God Changes Everything, a great book, and The Crucified King, Atonement and Kingdom in Biblical and Systematic Theology. He and his wife, Tiffany, have four daughters— I want to welcome Jeremy Treat to Apollos Watered as we talk about what it's like to minister in L.A., to talk about how we can share the truth of the gospel in the midst of a very religious culture, but how we also fulfill the mission of Christ in our world wherever God would have us be. So listen in to this conversation that I had with Jeremy Treat. Happy listening. Jeremy, welcome to Apollos Watered.
1: Thanks for having me, Travis. Looking forward to it.
0: All right. Just to start off, we have our Fast Five. Are you ready? Let's do it. In-N-Out Burger or Chick-fil-A? Chick-fil-A. Why?
1: It's just better. I mean, I feel like I need to be say In-N-Out to be true to California, but I got I to be honest. Chick-fil-A is just better.
0: Okay. 80s or 90s basketball?
1: 90s. That was that was the golden era for me. I mean, I I grew up in the 80s and 90s, but the 90s is when I came into my my own with basketball and I mean, Michael Jordan in the 90s, there's nothing ever been like that in the history of basketball. Doesn't get any better.
0: I totally agree. So, here though, since you're in California, I'm assuming now are you a Lakers fan or are you a Golden State fan? Oh, man. oh
1: you just insulted me. I'm a Clippers fan. <laughs> oh! Los Angeles awesome! Clippers.
0: Oh, now, okay, pre, I mean, were you, pre, like, pre, like, I don't want to say pre, but pre Steve Ballmer,
1: or <laughs> listen, were you a fan then? Listen, man, I, I'm OG, okay? I've been a Clippers oh. fan since 1999, Kenny right? Norman. Uh, Kenny Norman, Danny Manning. Oh, Ron I've Harper. A, I've got a Brent Berry jersey at oh. home, okay? Clippers are my squad. So I I I I grew up a Seattle SuperSonics fan. I lived in Seattle and uh, I came down to LA to go to school in 1999. And because I was a Sonics fan, I didn't like the Lakers. So I started cheering for the cheering for the Clippers. Uh and they they took my heart and then the Sonics ceased to exist so the Clippers moved into that number 1 spot.
0: Oh, that's good. I, <laughs> I rooted for the Clippers. They were my second favorite team just because they were kind of the lovable losers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're talking about the Loy Vought era. <laughs> I mean, that's when you were getting all the guys that were like way past their primes. Oh, yeah. Like Dominique Wilkins.
1: Yeah, and, people uh, forget that.
0: Oh, man. Okay, well, that changes my other questions then. Um, oh, yeah, I,
1: I can yeah. talk about the Clippers all day. Although, I, I, th- I'm not necessarily a Warriors fan, but I love watching Steph Curry. I mean, if you just want yeah. to see magic on the basketball court, like watching stuff is amazing.
0: It is. It's, it's just not fair. No. <laughs> Seeing a guy shoot like that is insane, no. No. but okay. Taking your Clippers love then. All right. How about this? You've got Blake Griffin, Blake, Blake Griffin, <laughs> or you're going to have Chris Paul.
1: Oh, I, I I have, I have some bitterness towards both of those guys. I would take Chris Paul. I mean, Blake Griffin is, is is done, basically. I mean, he's, his game is power and dunking. He hasn't had one dunk this entire season, at least when we're recording this. And Chris Paul's doing well with the Suns. So Chris Paul, is, he's, he's a leader, and that I respect about him.
0: Yeah. Okay. Th- those were some fun teams to watch, man. When they got Chris Paul, Blake Griffin. And, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, man. They were some just great yeah. stuff. Okay. So here you go. Next one. Weirdest habit your wife or kids say you have?
1: Oh man, weirdest habit my wife gets say I have. <laughs> um, I I always when I sit down I always curl my toes. Like I always put my I curl my toes, and my kids always make fun of me about that. I don't know why I do it. I don't know where it comes from. But my kids, that, that's the thing that comes to mind. They 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 always get on me about that. It's just natural.
0: You curl your toes. That's pretty weird. Yeah, like I, I
1: kind of put my rest my foot like on my toes. Like I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> I'll own it. I like it's in my jeans. I don't own
0: Okay, that's good. I like that. Here we go. This is the last one. Last question of the fast five. If you were to be a place in California, what place would you be and why?
1: Los Angeles. It's because it's the greatest city in the world. I love it. All right, all right. All right. <laughs> I mean, are you asking a... outside of where I currently am?
0: Okay, let's do that. Let's do that so you don't have to play to your base.
1: Okay, <laughs> okay. Outside well, of Los you know, Angeles. Outside of Los Angeles. I think I would go up to Carmel by the Sea. I mean, Carmel is just like a little slice of paradise, and it's I've been able to visit there a few times, and it, it's the opposite of L.A. in so many ways, so it's a good break. It's refreshing.
0: Awesome. That's not. That sounds so good right now because I'm in Illinois and we had, <laughs> we just had last night like another four and a half inches to go on top of the other like fifteen. Yeah. <laughs> so we're like digging out, and it's it's going to be negative two tonight, and that's without wind chill. So oh, man, just you talking about it makes me feel warm on the inside.
1: <laughs> well, my my family, we went on a hike yesterday, and I I texted some of my family i've got family all over and i I texted someone because it's cold everywhere and i said hey i I feel your pain about the coldness. I had to get out my short sleeve sweatshirt today. For this hike. <laughs> what a jerk. <laughs> what a jerk. Uh, it was about maybe 68 degrees here, which is pretty cold for us. So.
0: <laughs> you saw my wife is from South Florida, so she's the same way. Yep. Same way. So, okay, well, let's get after it then. So let's hear your story. I mean, you said you grew up in Seattle. You went to college. In California, but tell us your spiritual journey. Talk about how you came to follow Jesus and uh, really pursue him and want to pursue him as not only a pastor, but you've got a, a Ph.D. in this. So, so what what really led to you to really pursue and follow Christ?
1: Yeah, well, I'll I'll, I'll back it up a little bit, and you can just kind of interject wherever you want and ask ask more questions. But I, I mentioned Seattle, but I actually grew up in Alaska. Uh, I lived I lived in Alaska till I was 12 years old, a little fishing town, um, a couple hours south of Anchorage, and my dad was a cabinet maker. Um, and 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 really, like to talk about who I am today, I have to talk about my dad because my dad has shaped my life more than anyone. And not only because he's just a great dad, but the way I like to put it is that my dad gave me everything that he never had. Um, uh, I'll just summarize it, but my dad had a very difficult upbringing. Um, anything that you would hope somebody doesn't go through, my dad went through that. He he took the worst that his life can give, and he fought through it. And he was able, by God's grace, to carry on and then start a family. And and like I said, give me and my siblings everything that he never had. So, I I I share that at the beginning because I've been very blessed in so many ways. Uh, but it has—it's come through a lot of sacrifice uh, on my parents' part. So, I grew up in Alaska. Um, when I was my my dad owned a cabinet shop. He built it up. It was really successful. It burnt down to the ground when I was seven years old. Um, and in 1987, my dad sold his uh, the rights to his cabinet shop, Treat Custom Cabinets, and bought an Apple Macintosh store. 1987. And, uh, cause he, he, he'd kind of learned computers and I mean, this was all new back then and he just loved it. So he bought this store and he, uh, he built it up, did really well. Five years later, his store burned down. So my dad built up these two businesses really successful. They both literally burned. And I was 12 years old. My dad took me and my older brother and we got in the truck and started driving South looking for a new place to live. Well, my mom stayed back in Alaska to sell the house with my little brother and sister. Uh, so, I mean, I, I look back on that. I, I talked to my dad about this. And I'm like, you're crazy. Like literally just got in the truck and started driving, not knowing where we were going to go. We ended up in Seattle. We lived in hotels for a couple of months in Seattle. My mom and my other, my little sister and brother were able to come join us. And my dad taught himself how to code. And we got it. He, he ended up getting a job at Microsoft. So we settled down in Seattle suburbs. So that was, I mean... That's how I ended up in Seattle, and then it was it was right after that when I was thirteen years old, that i I think that the Lord saved me and and gave me a new heart. I mean I, I'd grown up in the church. My parents are really godly and um and taught us the word and modeled that in so many ways. But the context that I grew up in were very legalistic. God just cares about your behavior and you just need to obey and you just, you know, I kind of learned how to play the game, um, to, to talk, talk a certain way around the right people and do the right things in the right context. Um, but I, I honestly, like I was a little Pharisee. Like I thought, I thought that God was lucky to have me on his team and I brought all this to the table and I, I, I kind of learned how to play the game and I was good at it. Um, and it was when I was in junior high, I mean, I first, that for me, like, understanding the gospel, what had to kind of rip open my heart for that was, was really seeing my own sin. So uh, I think back on that and just how vivid that was. of when I first realized my need for grace, see, I'd heard about grace my whole life. I'd heard about Jesus dying on the cross and raising from the grave, but deep down, I didn't think I needed Uh, it. I thought that God was kind of helping patch, patch things on to what I was already doing. That was really good. And so uh, just really understanding my sin and the need for God's grace and the gospel. And so I trusted in Christ and really from, from that point on, I mean, it's just been a a journey of understanding more and more the depths of the gospel. Um I need I need God's grace as much right now as I did uh that first day as a as a teenager that I understood that. So that was a little bit of my story of, of just kind of early life, uh, first, first really understanding the gospel uh, and then you know, growing from there.
0: That's a pretty remarkable story. I mean, your dad, especially what your dad went through and yeah. all that he did. And honestly, when you were saying that the second place burnt down and he pushed yeah. in the truck, <laughs> I, in my head, I'm thinking, is he going to have a conversation with his son and say, son, this is the moral of the story? I want you to be a fireman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I mean that that just that's very unusual to no, have that's,
1: too, Oh, yeah, that's, that's wild, man. My my and my dad's a fighter. Like he, he'd never give up. I grew up watching Rocky and my dad giving me pep talks and like you, you just when you get knocked down, you get back up and you keep going. And um and my dad modeled so much of that for me.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, well, tell us now, I mean, you're your pastor, you've got a PhD. Usually those two things don't go together. And then you're pastoring in LA. I mean, those are three things that I'm like, those don't, that, that's just what not, that's not what people think normally go together. Can you describe just how that works? And I know it works for you, Yeah. But how does that work?
1: I mean, I'll tell you a little bit more of the backstory just to kind of like set that up. I mean, I so. I, I came down to Biola for college and then I ended up moving back to Seattle to help plant this church. And when I uh I was I helped plant this church, I was 20 years old, and I I really started full-time ministry there. I started and, and school became a side thing for me then. So I finished my undergrad while I was doing ministry and and then did a a master's in theology but that was always kind of on the side and so i really i really enjoyed theology but it was kind of on the side like i was just in the trenches and i but as i was going through seminary where i really got excited is when i could make these connections of how to take what i was learning in seminary and teach it to these kids that i was ministering to so i'll never forget um learning about john chrysostom or uh wait was it chrysostom the golden um, Mouth. Yeah, but was it um, was it Chrysostom? Where they they cut his tongue out. No, I'm I'm blanking on this.
0: No, the, no. you're thinking of you're not thinking of Polycarp. No, because no. he was burned.
1: I anyway, can't, I can't. It, it's something like Chrysostom. I'm blanking on it right now. Um, it'll probably come back to me later. But uh, you know, early church figure, fifth, sixth century, I think, and talking you know, there's debates about the two wills of Christ, and uh, they cut his tongue out and they cut his hand off because of his beliefs in in christology what he believed about the person of christ and i remember hearing that and being like i don't think i'd take a paper cut for christology and hearing this guy who believed something so much that i mean he got his hand off cut off so he couldn't write anymore and they cut his tongue off so he couldn't speak anymore and um and and when he did that like uh, just seeing the courage there so i went and i told that story to these junior hires and all of a sudden, they're just, they want to learn Christology. They're like, this guy's crazy. Like, what was it that he was talking about that he'd get his tongue cut out, right? Like, they just can't even imagine that. And so I started, I started taking the stuff that I was learning in seminary and teaching it to junior high and high school kids. And what I found is they were eating it up. Like, they sure, they want to play the silly games and whatnot. But like, they were, they were hungering for depth. And, and they weren't getting it and when i started giving it to them they loved it and so i i had this this motto i mean i think it's a old albert einstein quote as i was going through seminary of you don't really understand something unless you can teach it to a child and so so that just really started shaping the way that i did ministry and and then i when i when i finished my masters in theology i was kind of at this place where I didn't know what to do next. And I'd, I'd had some professors recommend that I go on and consider a PhD. And like I said, I'd never really applied myself to school that much. I, I don't think I ever wrote a paper that I started before nine o'clock at night. And um, and so, you know, I was just doing ministry. And so I, I decided, well, I I think I'm going to try this out and we'll see what happens. And so I ended up at at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School out in your neck of the woods. And um and I, I went there to do a THM one year, and I just prayed. I said, God, if you want me to go down this academic route more, then open a door. If not, I'll go right back into ministry. That's really where, where my heart is. And so I spent that year at Trinity. And then, long story short, God opened a door for me to go to Wheaton College with Kevin Van Hooser, who, who I had met at Trinity. He went to Wheaton. I ended up going with him to do a PhD in theology there. So I went to Wheaton and it was just like a dream, man. Like I I even think back on that now and I was like, I had three years to to be in this incredible place with an incredible cohort of men and women who are learning theology. I mean, learning from my heroes, Kevin Van Hooser and Doug Moo and uh all these incredible uh professors at Wheaton. And so I really, that was, that was an opportunity for me, really, just to learn and, and get a, um, a theological foundation and framework. And then, as I was finishing up my time at Wheaton, I, I was praying outside of our library one day and just saying, God, what, what would you have for me? And I'd, I'd felt like over those three years that God had clarified that He, he gifted me to be able to bridge the world between. Uh, high-level theology in the church. And and I, I'd i seen that, but I wasn't sure how it would play out. Would I be a pastor who does some teaching on the side, or would I be a professor who does some preaching on the side? And I was sitting outside the library praying one day, and I felt like God put Reality LA into my head. And Reality LA was just my friend's church in LA. Um, I'd, I'd never been there. I didn't really know anyone there other than one person um, and so I called him up and and said, Hey, I was praying. I felt like God put reality LA into my head and we kind of laughed it off, like, wouldn't that be funny? And then uh that guy ended up connecting me later on with the 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 pastor Tim Chaddock who had planted reality LA. And it was just that kind of just started this journey where it was so clear that God was calling us here as this next step. So and then to be able I I was able to come here and pastor at this church where God had done this incredible movement before I ever got here. And, um, and then also then uh, to be able to teach a little bit at Biola. So that was just a, an incredible setup for me to be able to be anchored in the church, but to still have a foot in that world where I get to teach at Biola and, and be a part of, of what God's doing as, as well there. So that's kind of the story of how it led up to this. And, and I feel really blessed to be doing what I'm doing.
0: So tell us a bit more about Reality LA. What what is like the church? Uh, what's its makeup? What's its ethos like? So describe the church to us.
1: Yeah, we're uh, our church is is predominantly twenties, uh, early thirties, mostly single people. We have um, we've gotten a lot more diverse over the years uh, in terms of when the church started. It was just it was it was just a lot of early twenties, a lot of USC students um and we've we've grown i mean we started fifteen years ago, so over i mean we're we've grown in diversity in terms of ethnic diversity but also just generational diversity um and yeah i mean we're the way I would describe us is that we're we're in the heart of Los Angeles and we preach the gospel, we feed the hungry, and we we pray for God to bring renewal in the city just in the same way that we've experienced that through christ um and so our, our our vision is that we're seeking the renewal of Los Angeles through the good news of Jesus, and we really want that to be a a comprehensive understanding of the gospel. Um, that we want to see the lost saved, we want to see the lonely brought into family, and we want to see really the the culture of this city really be impacted by the gospel. Um, and so that that's a little bit of, of what we're about. I mean, we I, I can tell a little bit of the narrative. I mean, we. Tim Chaddock planted Reality LA 15 years ago with a really simple vision to be in the city and to preach the gospel boldly. And he did that and God did an incredible work. I mean, uh, and and it's all God. I mean, one of the stories that we like to tell over and over again in our church, just to remind people that it's, it's God's work, is that there was uh, early on, I mean, we were a small church meeting in this uh, elementary school in West Hollywood and in, in the Michael Jackson auditorium. And, uh, you know, just small 30, 50 people. And some of them were USC students. There was a guy named Chase who was a USC student and uh, he was real well known on campus, just a, and a go getter for Jesus, for Jesus, real connected to lots of people. He got into a skateboarding accident and went into a coma. And Tim Chaddock started leading prayer meetings and all these people started praying um, and the way that he describes it is people started questioning their own souls. And then this guy, Chase, ended up dying from this coma. And Tim preached his funeral. Um, and what came out of that was a bunch of people got saved. And it, it sparked this really revival where the church just started growing like crazy um, and just having a lot of people coming to know Christ. And I mean, back then, 15 years ago, there weren't a lot of churches, at least English-speaking churches, in Hollywood. Um, there, a lot of church plants have come here, um, but but back then it was. I mean, we have we have one of our lay elders is a, um, a set designer, and he says that 15 years ago he would never run into another Christian on set, never see that. Now he says, you know, he hardly ever goes to a set without bumping into someone else from our church. Um, so it's LA is really different now than than it was then. But it just started this growth. And then uh, when, when I came in seven years in, and that was at a stage where we wanted to make sure that we're not just drawing a crowd, but making disciples. And because we'd seen a lot of people get saved and we grew really fast, but are we discipling people? Are we caring for the hurting? Are we raising up leaders? You know, all those kind of questions. So we really built our staff out then. I, I, that's when I joined the team. And then a couple years after I got here, Tim Chaddick, who planted the church, really felt called to London. And so we sent him off to plant Reality London. And then I stepped into his position as the pastor for preaching and vision. Um, and then over the last five years, we've been doing root work. Uh, the way that I describe it is um, we, we've been trying to transition from being a young church plant that, that experienced a lot of momentum early on to Lord willing, just being a healthy church that's making disciples from one generation to the next, that's rooted in the city. And and then just a couple of years ago, I mean, this is kind of the last piece of the story is um, for now, I mean, is that uh, we, we had a, a, another church that we had partnered with in different ways in Hollywood. They approached us two years ago and said, hey, we, we want our church to join your church and to give you all that we have. And what that meant is that we inherited um, along with just a, an incredible group of people, a small group of people. But we inherited a recovery ministry uh, and a, a food ministry where we serve about 250 meals a day uh, to the most marginalized in East Hollywood. And then along with that, we we got an office building and a small Baptist church building that's right next to it where we do all the food ministry. And so that for us was such a game changer. I mean, having never owned property and uh, and, and renting office space all over the city and paying a fortune for that. And, and honestly, it being hard to be able to tangibly serve the city and now to be able to have this food ministry and recovery program, to have a place that's our own home where we put down roots, it's just, it's massive for us as a church. And, and that's, that's affecting our, our, the culture of our church. I mean, we really are learning more how to see the image of God in every single person in the city and how to care for the hurting and the broken. And so that's, that's just all God's grace. Like we we couldn't write it up that way. We couldn't have worked ourselves into that. Um, and so we feel like there's, we feel a really strong sense of stewardship of God's, God's called us here and positioned us and, and given us an opportunity to make an impact for the kingdom.
0: That is awesome. and, and- I have to say, being in the Midwest and interacting with people from the Midwest, when when I hear California, especially when it ever comes from a Christian perspective, I know there are some great churches there, but California largely has been a place that seems very, very dark and preaches a lot of values that are countercultural or antithetical to the gospel, but yet you're in the middle of it uh, being faithful. What are the... I mean, a few few questions that I have that come to my mind. I mean, first of all, what are the biggest blessings that you've you've already articulated some of them, because in many ways you've found to a place where there are streams in the midst of the desert and God is doing the work. He is transforming the hearts and minds of people. Um, but it's it's. I mean, what what's the biggest blessing you've seen in being the pastor of preaching and vision at Reality Church L.A.?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the answer to that is easy for me is, is just seeing people come to know Christ who, and, and what we always say is that we want to see people who are far from Jesus become followers of Jesus. And so, I mean, look, if you got people like me who grew up in the church and maybe were, you know, need to, need to like understand the gospel compared to their legalistic upbringing, that's awesome. Like we praise God for any, any salvation. We praise God for his work that he's doing but seeing people who you would never think become christians become christians is just incredible i mean there's there there's a a woman who runs a thai restaurant on the block that i live on and um i i i walked into this thai restaurant one day just i mean literally just to get lunch and she comes out pastor jeremy and i'm like i'd never even been in there before and um i i said i'm i'm so sorry do you, like, are you a part of our church? I don't think I've met you before. And she says, I just came to your church and I'm a Christian now. And this woman is, she's in her sixties. She grew up in Thailand, immigrated to the United States. She's been running this restaurant uh, for most of her life right here. She's been a Buddhist her whole life. Somehow she randomly ended up at one of our church services, gave her life to Christ, has gotten baptized and, I, I mean, I stop by her restaurant all the time and check on her and pray for her. And, I, I mean, just seeing her grow is incredible. So, yeah, those kind of stories, I mean, that's what's most amazing is just being, you know, there, there's a lot of hardship. This is very much like I, I feel the sense of spiritual warfare that comes with being on the front lines. But but seeing that makes it all worth it.
0: What I really love about what Jeremy's doing is that he's watering his world. You know, Apollos Watered is about watering your faith so that you can water your world wherever that world may be. It may be in the Delta region of Nigeria, the plains of Mongolia, the suburban or the, the, the urban landscape of Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. It might be in a small town in the middle of Iowa, the mountains of Colorado, Hollywood, or in the mountains of Peru. We all need to water our faith so that we can learn to water our worlds. And that's what I appreciate what Jeremy's doing. With the challenges that are in front of him, he is faithfully proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. In reality, LA is doing a magnificent work. I want to invite you back next week as we finish off our conversation and continue to talk about what it's like ministering in a world that is so diverse and filled with so many different religions. And how everyone is spiritual, but not religious. How do you share the gospel in the middle of that world? Come back next week and listen in as we discuss that. I also want to encourage you to to subscribe to this podcast. Leave us a rating, a review. And share this episode with other people. We would be so honored if you did. And would you consider prayerfully supporting this podcast? Go to our website at apolloswater.org and hit the support us button. And there you can pick any amount that you would like to give in order to help us to continue to water the faith of people around the world so that their worlds can be watered with the truth of who Jesus is. I also want to give a shout out to our wonderful Apollos watered team. Brian Dana, who's our sound engineer, Eliana Fleming and Rebecca Badal, who are knocking it out with our social media, and Kevin O'Brien, my partner in crime, who's always there to help lead the discussion and talk about how we can make our show more perfect for you so that you can water your faith and then then water your world. I also want to give A shout out, a plug for our sponsor, Kathy Brothers of Keller Williams Innovate. If you're looking to buy or sell a home in the Chicagoland area, then Kathy is the person that you need to look up. She is truly great at her job. She has an amazing team as well. She comes with years of experience and loves people. She's trustworthy and cares about her clients. I know because I'm one of them. She's my agent. She sat down with me and my wife, learned what we were looking for, and then presented the best options that were relevant to us. And then after we purchased a home, she regularly checked in to see how we are doing. Give her a call or text today at 630-201-4664. That's 630-201-4664. That's Kathy Brothers of Keller Williams Innovate. Tell her Travis sent you. That's it for today, everybody. I want to encourage you, Water your faith, water your world. This is Travis Michael Fleming signing off from Apollos Watered until next week. Stay watered everybody.